Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to Get Your Goat, your host here today. I'm going to be talking about the Indianapolis Colts sightings to find Gilmore, what that means for them. Colin Kaepernick, willing to be a backup in the NFL, just so that he has a shot. Then, breaking down tonight's games, 76ers Raptors, Utah Jazz, and Dallas Mavericks, and then the Nuggets Warriors, and then also what happened this past weekend. Nets versus Celtics have turned into Kyrie versus fans. Am I surprised that the Grizzlies lost to the T-Wolves? And what chance do I give Trey Young and the Hawks to come back in this series against this Miami Heat team? And then the NBA awards finalists have been announced, who I think should win from the three that were uh, have the shot. So let's start with the Indianapolis Colts. Signing Stephon Gilmore to a two-year deal. It's worth up to $23 million, $14 million guaranteed. I think this is a great move for Indianapolis, who, you know, are continuing to prove and show that they want to win, that they want to win now, or at least they just want to compete now and be relevant again because they haven't been relevant since the days of Andrew Luck when he led them to AFC title games. They haven't been back there since. They haven't won a Super Bowl since Peyton Manning, this you know storied franchise for a better part of the 21st century, has been dormant the past few years. So they go out and sign Stephon Gilmore to pair with another new secondary teammate in Rodney uh, McLeod. So... They're rehauling that. So they added to their defense. You know, they traded, uh, you know, Rocky Asin, who I thought was a decent corner, for, you know, pass rusher Yannick Nagulke, which elevates the pass rush because you got him now with DeForest Buckner. Uh, you got Quiddy Pay as well. Hopefully he improves more. Second-year player out of Michigan. Linebacker is set. Darius Leonard, one of the best in the business. And then you add Stephon Gilmore. So this defense, to me, is set. Should be a top 10 defense. At minimum, you know, hired Gus Bradley is a new coordinator as well. Uh, they have one of the best league slot corners, Kenny Moore. So this defense should be in good shape. I don't expect Stephon Gilmore to be 2019. Stephon Gilmore, where he won a defensive player of the year. You know, the past couple of years he's been dealing with injuries, had the torn quad uh, that, you know, kind of plagued him last year. So hopefully he is back. He is healthy. He is rejuvenated on a very good Indianapolis Colts team. Like I said, this defense should be top 10, you know, number 10 at worst with the talent that they have on the defensive side of the ball. You pair that with what's on the offense, the Michael Pittman, the Jonathan Taylor, a great offensive line, Matt Ryan. This is a team, I don't know if they are ready to compete for Super Bowls or even a trip to the AFC title game, but they are on the upward trend. Offseason is not over. We'll see how the draft works out. But to me, this team stacks up very uh, comparable with their division counterpart, the Tennessee Titans. And I believe that only one 
team from that division, the AFC South, that holds the Colts, the Titans, Jags, and Texans. One of those teams is going to make the, the playoffs, and it's going to be the division winner. So you just have to win your division, and you are secured a playoff berth and a home uh, matchup for the first game. Again, big, big signing for the Indianapolis Colts. I was very surprised that he chose uh, the Colts. You know, I was thinking, you know, is he going to take a small deal to go to the Rams, chase a ring there? Maybe the Chiefs, you know, are the Raiders interested as well? So him going to the Colts really did shock me uh, when this announcement was made on Saturday morning. I was very surprised, but it just shows the seriousness, you know, of Jim Irsay and the management there of the Indianapolis Colts that they mean business and we're going to go out competing and we're not going to say that we didn't try. We didn't try to acquire talent. So I am all for this. Congratulations to the Colts, to Stephon Gilmore. I think this is going to be a big move. I hope it is a big move. And you also have, in the NFL news, a new edition of the match. Every year, you know, Capital One for, you know, the past few years have done the match, which which feature a, you know, player going up against a player or, you know, uh, a foursome, you know, two players going up against another two players. Uh, so I think this edition of the match is going to be great and really interesting. The match on June 1st is going to feature on a pair, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers going up against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. 12-hole match. I think this is going to be great. Uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, you have kind of the two old dogs there, the two veterans, two of the best to ever do it. Uh, You know, two of them, you know, both of them play in the NFC, both contemplated retirement this past offseason. Tom Brady made it official, then officially unretired. And then you have the two young guns in the AFC, to me, the two best quarterbacks in the AFC. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Uh, so this is to me is going to be fantastic. I love the match. Last year we had Brady uh, and Phil Mickelson go up against Rodgers and DeChambeau. Brady Mickelson leading most of the way until the end. Rodgers DeChambeau pulled it off. That was great. And then you had the player for player match last year as well. The trash talk, you know, feud between. DeChambeau, Kepka, one-on-one, Kepka kind of dominated that. That was brilliant. You know, I think this will be a very evenly paired match. I think Rodgers is the best golfer out of the four. I think Patrick Mahomes is the second best golfer. Uh, I think Tom Brady is third. Uh, but who knows? He says he's been putting in a lot of work. He's got his new golf line for the Brady brand launching tomorrow. Uh, so we'll see if he's really improved him. And I think Josh Allen is the worst played in a Pebble Beach program. Uh, last year didn't play well, but we'll see again. I think this is going to be a fantastic match. 
expect some jabs here and there. It's going to be interesting, especially because it is coming up June 1st. It's before the NFL season, so we'll see, you know, what banter uh, is exchanged between the players. But I am looking forward to the next version of a match. I'm already going to go out on a limb and say Brady and Rodgers are taking it. Uh, But as we get closer to that date, I'll make an official prediction. But my unofficial prediction is Brady Rodgers takes it home. Then in other news of NFL, Colin Kaepernick says he's willing to be a backup, you know, on an NFL team if he is given, you know, just a shot. He says uh, he wants to prove that he's a starter. You know, he needs to prove. But at first, you know, he's got to come in as a backup. That's fine with him. He just wants the opportunity to walk through a door, step on the field. I don't know if he's ever going to come back into the NFL. Uh, I think two things really hurt him. One, be lawsuit against the NFL. And two, uh, the workouts that was scheduled to happen in an NFL facility, you know, with, you know, 30 uh, scouts and executives planning on being there and watching him. And it was a weekend of any kind of hijacked. It moved it to a Tuesday to like a high school field and, you know, wanted new terms. Only like two people showed up. Uh, so hopefully he has matured. I think those two things really killed him uh, in his comeback. But I'm glad to see him accept a backup role because, you know, if I was a general manager or coach, I think I've got my guy. I've got my Josh Allen or whoever the case may be. I want a backup quarterback. But there's no way I'm signing Colin Kaepernick uh, with his ego, thinking he's top dog. Uh, wants to be a starter. So I think this is a great move for him because even if you're a backup, uh, per se, for Josh Allen, we saw Mitch Trubisky, few reps in the preseason, and, you know, minimal reps with Buffalo because Josh Allen handled the majority of work. And now he's getting a chance to start for the Pittsburgh Steelers or at least a, you know, competing job to start. I could see Colin Kaepernick on that same trajectory uh, going to a spot where he is likely not needed. But, you know, if something were to happen to the main guy, the starter, he comes in. But then you get to see Colin Kaepernick in preseason, maybe some garbage time. You know, you get that real-time action and scouting. Maybe next year something happens. So I think it was good of Kaepernick to let go of his ego and say a backup role is fine with me for now. Uh, And saying, you know, he also wants to win a championship after, you know, being one play away against the Ravens. He's still hungry for that. So I like everything that he said. I think it's smart, especially to me, because you have another quarterback that's comparable and Cam Newton, and he has a big ego as well. I think uh, him starting and, what he kind of does and says. So it is interesting uh, with him because that's the quarterback I would stay away from due to the ego and the starting with issues on the Patriots. And then, you know, behind back uh, line against the Cardinals when he was on the Panthers again this year. There's just a lot going on with Cam. And I don't know uh, 
if there is as much, you know, I know there's a lot of baggage with Colin Kaepernick, but I don't know if there is, you know, all that extra junk that Cam Newton still does if Colin Kaepernick is matured. But I would give Colin Kaepernick a shot. You know, if I'm a team that needs a backup, I'd call Colin Kaepernick right now if I'm the Bucks. I'd call Colin Kaepernick if I'm the Seahawks. I'd give him a shot, you know, if I feel he is NFL ready. If he's able to come in and make plays if the starter goes down. He definitely deserves another shot in this league. Now moving on to the NBA. Tonight, 76ers and Raptors, game two, game one, went to the 76ers, blew them out 131 to 111. The key was not Joel Embiid, not James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and Tobias Harris were the one-two punch in that game. Not Embiid or Harden, Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. Put on a show. Tyrese Maxey, 38 points, 5 of 8 from 3. He took, you know, I couldn't believe it. He took the most shots, you know, that whole game. 21, uh, 14 of them, highly efficient, plus 20. He was great. Tobias Harris. Another player, great, 26 points, his second leading score, uh, tremendous. And then you had, you know, Joel Embiid, 19, rather pedestrian for him, wasn't that efficient, 5 of 15. Same with James Harden, 22 points, 6 of 17, wasn't that efficient. But the 76ers will continue to roll if Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey play like that. Now, if the roles are reversed, you know, I think Philadelphia loses if Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey struggle. But if they're clicking in Joel Embiid and James Harden, they can coast through the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, you know, them, you know, other than, you know, Fred Van Fleet, uh, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, uh, not a good night for the rest of the team. Scotty Barnes had 15 points, but he was injured. Uh, the Philadelphia Sixers team was a more efficient team, shot over 50% from the field, shot 50% from three, from the free throw line, 85%. Crazy to think that one last year with Ben Simmons, it was just awful. You know, we stormed out to a 24-point lead. Uh, the Sixers dominated points of a paint. Uh, they were the better team from start to finish. You know, the 76ers fans, they weren't chanting, chanting MVP for James Harden or Joel Embiid, they were chanting Maxi, 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 who put on a show Curry like three pointers. It was brilliant to see. You will not beat the 76ers if Tyrese Maxi plays like this and plays a point guard like this. And James Harden, you know. Last year, you know, top five player in the league. This year, no longer the case. And right now on his team, you know, he out of the they could have a real big three, and he'd be the third deferred option on the team. I really do think so. I think Tyrese Maxey 
is that guy. He is a star in the making. He is showing up, showing out. Great win by Philadelphia. But who wins game two? Still in Philadelphia's home turf. Now there is no Scotty Barnes tonight. He's officially ruled out. Do the Raptors have any chance of winning this game? No. I'm going out not on a limb here, but no. I'm not giving Toronto any shot to win this game in Philly with no Scotty Barnes. Uh, I believe the Philadelphia 76ers will win. I don't believe Joel Embiid will play as poorly and as inefficiently as he did on Saturday. I believe he'll play better. I don't know if Tyrese Maxey uh, can duplicate that performance tonight. But even if they meet in the middle somewhere, those two players, I expect the Philadelphia 76ers to win this game. Uh, I don't know if it'll be quite the blowout, uh, but I believe that they will win with relative ease. The Philadelphia 76ers will get the big win uh, tonight and take a stranglehold 2-0 series lead on the Toronto Raptors. The Utah Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks. Utah Jazz walked away with a win, stole game one uh, to me, down early, down at halftime uh, to the Dallas Mavericks, who were shorthanded. No Luka Doncic, Doncic, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell only had two points, and... At that point, I was thinking to myself, the Utah Jazz cannot afford to lose this game. I was saying, if the Utah Jazz end up losing this game with no Luka Doncic, and they end up losing this series, and you know the Mavericks were shorthanded for a bit, I thought the Utah Jazz needed to be blown up. Donovan Mitchell go, Rudy Gobert go, Coach go. But that was not the case. They course corrected even though Donovan Mitchell had two points in the first half, you know, with something abysmal like one of ten shooting. He turned it on in the second half. 30 points in the second half. Uh, Much improved shooting in the second half. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich was great as well. 26 points. Uh, Dallas Mavericks, I thought most of them played all right. Jalen Brunson, 24. Spencer Dinwiddie, 22. It is just hard to win without your superstar and Luka Doncic. But another thing, you know, Rudy Gobert was not aggressive. Yes, he had 17 rebounds, dominated the boards in the perimeter. Only had five points. Didn't make a single shot. Uh, as concerning to me when... Your five points. Uh, and then also as well, there were signs, you know, early where the Dallas Mavericks, you know, were toying with Rudy Gobert, trying to guard him out of the perimeter, and he would not go to the perimeter. What happened? The Dallas Mavericks had some wide open looks. They just could not knock down any and make Rudy go up there and respect him and freeze him because at times early in this game, he looked frozen, but the Dallas Mavericks shot a measly 28%, only made 9 of 32 attempts from 3. 
Uh, that ain't going to cut it. You know, missing eight free throws as well, shooting 76% is another thing that is not going to cut it. Uh, but it was showing that, hey, Utah, clearly not the team they were last year. Dallas needs Luka Doncic to win games. And without Luka, they will not advance. And even if Utah wins uh, games by a small margin. So who wins tonight? The Utah Jazz or the Dallas Mavericks? It is likely that Luka won't be playing again this week. So, or this today. So what happens? I like Utah to win yet again. If he's not available, there's no way I see Luka winning or Dallas winning the series. I think Utah wins this game uh, with the defensive ability, you know, knowing that there's no fear factor there. When Luka is not on the floor, there's no case, uh, you know, for the Utah Jazz to go out on a perimeter. Now, can Spencer Dinwiddie get hot? Sure. Can Jalen Brunson? Sure. But I just, you know, don't see it uh, happening. You know, they've got a good collection of talent. Uh, I know it's not official. It's unlikely that Luka Doncic plays. But I don't see any scenario where the Utah Jazz lose this game. And then, you know, if Utah wins this one, they take a 2-0 series lead. And they go to their home court. And I thought last year, Utah had the best home court of the playoffs. It was, to me, by far the loudest I ever ever heard in any playoff atmosphere, in any home game last year. Utah had the loudest. It was insane. The fans were crazy. Uh, I don't know what decibel measured that they measured or what it was at, but it felt nfl you know, stadium with how loud that Utah was for their home games. So Dallas going down to an 0-2 hole to Utah. I don't think Luka, even if he were to come back for the rest of the series, would be able to finish off and close those games. I believe this is a big game for Utah to take a clear stranglehold on the series. I believe they do. I believe Utah wins tonight. Then the last game tonight, you have the Denver Nuggets and the Golden State Warriors. Warriors won the first uh, matchup on Saturday. Uh, It was close there for a while uh, in the first quarter, but second quarter, Warriors started to pull away a bit more. Third quarter. Warriors pulled away even more, and it was over from there. Jordan Poole stepped up huge for this team. Clearly was needed. You know, the starter now 30 points, most points. You know, Steph Curry uh, didn't start, came off the bench, but struggled early on, missed quite a few shots, only finished with 16. It was Steph Curry, you know, I mean, it was Jordan Poole, you know, led the team in minutes, was just sensational 
from three, five of seven, nine of 13 from the field. He was making everything great. Draymond Green was also great. His defense on Jochic and Aaron Gordon, uh, Jeff Green, anybody who came down uh, to get some of Draymond. Draymond proved, you know, he is still one of the best defenders. I believe he was in a win defensive player of the year before his injury. He proved he is still that guy when healthy. What else did the Warriors show that I liked and why I picked him to win the series? They unveiled a new death lineup. Yes, you know, the death lineup there has been uh, many um, iterations of the death lineup in recent years. I believe you had the original uh, death lineup of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, Harrison Barnes, uh, Draymond Green, and I forget the fifth person, and Andre Iguodala. That was the five. Uh, then, you know, that led, them, that led them to one finals, and then they lost to the Cavs. Then you introduced the newer version, basically replacing Harrison Barnes with Kevin Durant, made it even more potent. And then you have another version of the death lineup, which is Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, and Andrew Wiggins. It is a small lineup, but it is a shooting lineup. You know, only played five minutes against the Nuggets, but 14-0 run in that time. Could not stop them. It was scary uh, to watch, and the Nuggets just have cannot do anything. Uh, when Jordan Poole is especially shooting uh, like that, Shooting lights out. Steph Curry, you know, isn't even, you know, going, I would say. Clay Thompson as well. It was Jordan Poole. Andrew Wiggins played a great game. And Draymond Green, uh, it just showed that Warriors are on another level than the Denver Nuggets. You know, Warriors shooting over 50% from the field, 45% from three to the Nuggets, 46 from the field, 31 from three as well. And to me, it just shows, you know, even in big moments, sometimes players can steal games, you know, even if there's injuries. But I know there's no Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter in that game. Uh, But if you're Nikola Jocic and you're supposed to be the league MVP, you got to be a little better. And, you know, the team has to be better. Uh, that's why I don't think Jochit should win MVP. That's why I don't give the Nuggets a chance in this series. So who wins game two? I am also rolling with the Golden State Warriors to win game two. I believe Steph Curry will play a little better, more in rhythm. I believe the death lineup will play a little bit more. I expect the Golden State Warriors to take a 2-0 lead. And after today, every single, you know, series so far that has played two games, the series will be at 2-0. I expect that from the Golden State Warriors tonight. What else happened this past weekend? The Memphis Grizzlies, the team I picked to win it all, 
you know, post or, you know, free agency and trade deadline uh, kind of cap. And then you had the, uh, before the postseason started, I think the Grizzlies. Am I shocked that they lost to the T-Wolves? Yes, I am. I was very shocked that they lost that first game to the T-Wolves. Why? Because this is one of the best defensive teams in the country, uh, or in the league, whatever you want to say. One of the best. Uh, to me, top five defensive team. They are that good on that end. You had Jaron Jackson, who I think should have been a candidate for defensive player of the year, who got into foul trouble, uh, did not play particularly well. Dylan Brooks, who's another great defender, also in foul trouble. Uh, so you have two of your best defenders there in foul trouble. That hurt you know, giving up, you know, the first three quarters, you know, or, you know, three of the four quarters, you know, the first quarter, 41 points given up, that ain't going to cut it. And then the third and fourth, 32, 33, total of 130 points. Is it playoff basketball? In playoff basketball, you we really don't reach 130 plus unless you're just on fire. Uh, and I'll give credit to the Timberwolves, I will. Uh, but the defense by Memphis has to be better. I thought John Morant was sensational. I'm not going to put any blame on him. He was, he had 32 points. He was 16 of 20 from a free throw line. Uh, he was attacking at the rim. He was finishing. He played great. You know, Desmond Bain, I thought could have played a little better, was a little inefficient. Jaron Jackson attempted five three-pointers, didn't make one. Again, had foul trouble. So it was him. It was the defensive side of the ball, 130 points. He didn't have D'Angelo Russell play particularly great, 10 points, 2 of 11. But you had Cat go off for 29. You had Ant-Man, 36 points. So they are feeling it. They are on a roll now, winning the play-in game against the Clippers. They have now beat the Memphis Grizzlies in the first game. And now they have the ultimate belief, you know, on their side that, hey, no one believes in us to beat the Memphis Grizzlies. We can go out here and win. You know, they have stolen the momentum of the series. And if they win tonight or if they win tomorrow night, they can really capture it. Uh, but I think, you know, Memphis will rebound. They'll have to grind it out defensively. They are going to have to play a lot better. You know, I was, again, I was surprised that Memphis lost this game. I was shocked. Uh but I'm not giving up on them yet because it's one game. They were the clear-cut second-best team in the league. You know, by a long stretch, they are a deep team who dominated without Ja in the lineup and dominated with Ja in the lineup. So I am not counting out, ruling out Memphis by any stretch whatsoever. Defensively, they've got to play better. They've got to adjust. They've got to make it harder on Ant-Man and Carl Anthony Towns. And it's tough because those are two bigger guys. So who does Jaron Jackson guard? Uh, because Steven Adams, you know, is not the best defender that they have out there. It can be an offensive force rebounding. But he put up a goose egg. Zero points, zero field goals, zero three-pointers, you know, only three rebounds, four assists. So, wasn't his best night either, but I'll give credit for the Timberwolves for stealing game one. I don't think they steal another one. 
wouldn't be surprised if the Grizzlies, you know, do that sweep thing now where it's like one game and then, you know, they win four in a row. You know, we saw that last year. Grizzlies stole the first game against the Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz then won four in a row. Could see the same thing happening in this series. Then Trey Young and the Hawks were no match for the Miami Heat. Trey Young came up short because, you know, his shots were short. He's a short player in terms of, you know, NBA standards, only six foot amongst, you know, other point guards who are 6'3", 6'5", some are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and just the other NBA giants of 6'8", 7 foot. Trey Young is a small NBA player. He played small yesterday, too. Shut out from three. Didn't make one three. 0 of 7 from the field. He was 1 of 12, almost shut out of full. Didn't even get to 10 points. Eight points. You know, who had more points than Trey Young on the team? DeAndre Hunter, Gallinari, John Collins off the bench healthy, Kevin Knox, all had more points than Trey Young. That's not going to cut it. Atlanta decimated yesterday. The defense of Miami, Miami another team, great defensive team. Trey Young's not going to get anything. Trey Young doesn't want that smoke early in the game, you know, Trey Young with a lame duck kind of foul on Jimmy Butler. It gets heated between the two of them. Trey Young doesn't want that smoke. Jimmy Butler took the assignment of guarding uh, Trey Young. Jimmy Butler's one of the best defenders in the league. It ain't happening. And then when you switch, you get P.J. Tucker on you, who did a number on Kevin Durant last year when he was on the Bucks, one of the better defenders still in the league at his age. They switch again. Bam on a bio on you. So, yes, that is not what you want. And the Heat are just too big, too strong, too athletic, too powerful for this Atlanta Hawks team. It, they're overpowering them. Trey Young, the Hawks have no shot. I love to see it. I love to root against Trey Young and the Hawks. I need this one. I need the Heat to win. Uh, they were the better team all around. But not only was it just the defense of the Miami Heat that, you know, paid dividends for this team, it was also the shooting of one Duncan Robinson, my Michigan man, was tremendous. 27 points, a leading score off the bench. Only missed one shot. 9 of 10 from the field. 8 of 9 from 3. Laser every single time. A four-point play. Uh, he was brilliant yesterday. He could not miss. Marksman, just a pure stroke. One of the best three-point shooters in the league. He was on. And when you had other people not on, Tyler Hero, who I think will be sixth man of the year, six points yesterday. That wasn't that good. But Duncan Robinson stepped up. Bam out of bio. Six points. Didn't matter. You had Duncan Robinson make up for those players. You know, you had Jimmy Butler play well. P.J. Tucker, you know, good offensive performance. Made all three-pointers that he attempted yesterday, 4-4. Four four. The Miami Heat overpowered this Atlanta Hawks team. Uh, held them to 38% from the field, 28% from the three. 
Miami Heat shot just over 50 from the field and just under 50 from the three. So great performance. I think Miami knows that Trey Young can still get hot. They're going to have to keep on coming defensively. Free throws have to be a little better shot, like 60% yesterday. But other than that, not much to say about the Heat's performance and what to improve on. Playmaking, 35 assists yesterday. Uh, They had more blocks, you know, points of a paint dominated as well. Uh, Their largest lead was, you know, 32 points. You know, they only won by, you know, 24, but the structure, it was just dominant. They had less turnovers. Miami Heat did everything perfect in that game. Uh, Duncan Robinson, greater than Trey Young, a three-point shooting ability. And it just goes to show what I have seen, you know, from the lifetime that I've watched Trey Young, the one year in Oklahoma, the couple of years now, you know, with the Atlanta Hawks, he is not that good. He is, is, you know, routinely as he gets hot, the same way he can regularly get cold. It's, that's just the facts with him, you know, from the field, he's a career 44% shooter from three career 35%. That's rather pedestrian from as your career. You know, this year was his best from three, 38%. But there's been too many times, too many games where he comes up short. And it's no knock on him. That's just who he is. That's who I say he is. Uh, so, no, I'm not sold on Trey Young. I don't think, you know... They might not even win a game against the Heat. I could see the Heat sweeping them with the depth, the talent, the defense, the offense. It's too much for Trey Young and the Hawks. Giving them no shot again. Nets Celtics. I picked the Nets to win the series. And what a game it was yesterday. Nets and Celtics. Jason Tatum. Buzzer beater layup to give them the win, 115-114. It was great. Uh, to me, that, you know, it was a similar, not exact sequence, you know, but it reminded me of LeBron James. That Tatum buzzer beater was LeBron James-esque where LeBron, you know, 2012 or 2013, whenever it was, against the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Game one had the buzzer beater layup that beat the Pacers by 1.103-102. And it's great because when you just need, you know, all you need is one point to tie and two points to win. So many times and not, we still see the team in those situations go for the three. When you don't need a three, you can get the best shot available, which at times is a two-pointer, especially against the Nets when they don't have a great interior defender. So the Nets, or the Celtics, have time on the clock. You have Jalen Brown trying to penetrate. He passes out to Marcus Smart. Everybody collapses on the perimeter. Marcus Smart then drives down the lane, has a good shot attempt, but sees Jason Tatum streaking to the basket, gets him the ball on the helpless Kyrie Irving, and lays it up for the buzzer beater. 
just terrific. This to me was an all-time classic game right here, playoff the intensity, which, you know, if the Nets were better, this could be a semifinals or an Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Instead, we're seeing it in the first round is why I think this series can go seven games between these teams uh, because it was just sensational. Jason Tatum put on a show yesterday against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, 31 points, a 9 of 18 shooting shot, 50% from 3, 3 of 7. He was great. Al Horford, 20 points. Marcus Smart, 20 points. Jalen Brown, 23 points. Celtics got it going. And for the Nets, Kyrie Irving, sensational. Nothing else I can say. 39 points, 6 of 10 shooting. And KD was rather inefficient. Yes, he had 23 points, but 9 of 24 shooting. 1 of 5 from 3. He wasn't particularly great. Uh, you know, Goran Dragic had a plus 17 rating. Nick Claxton, plus 10. Kyrie Irving, plus 6. Kevin Durant tied with minus 13. That wasn't good. I mean, their lineup really should have been Patty Mills at the point. Goran Dragic. Uh, Seth Curry. Kyrie Irving. Nick Claxton. That is the ultimate shooting lineup, and it was their best player's Yesterday, yes, Claxton's the only one that'll give you any defense, but at least you'll got players that are shooting well. Whereas the Celtics, with defense was great. Everything was great for them. Uh, it's, you know, evenly matched. They shot similar from the three. You know, Nets were a little better from the three. My bad. Similar from a field, different from three. Uh, free throw shooting. The exact same, 79.2%. Both were 19 of 24. This was a great game. But what got the headline other than Jason Tatum's buzzer beater? It was Kyrie. Kyrie's antics on the court felt like Kyrie versus fans. They were going at it. Uh, you know, the Celtics fans calling him Kyrie. Kyrie. You know, then Kyrie imitating them, you know, then what happens as well, you know, they're chanting names at him, uh, saying things, you know, and he gives them the double bird, double birds them behind his head, and then pulls a jumper up, gives him another middle finger. I mean, I could not believe it. Uh, I haven't seen something like this ever in the NBA playoffs where a player has done this, especially a player of his magnitude, uh, then after a game, you know, says if they're going to heckle him, he's going to give it back to the fans. This, to me, is the ultimate matchup right here. Kyrie versus the fans. And, you you know, it's great because Boston fans know – that they are getting getting to Kyrie, at least mentally. Kyrie played great, answered it on the court, and I thought that's where it should have got. But Celtics fans know they are in Kyrie's head. They are. You're not giving them middle fingers. If it doesn't bother you, it clearly, the heckling clearly bothered him. And I'm fine with the Celtics fans heckling him, and I'm fine with Kyrie giving it back. Because Kyrie's going to get fined 
by the NBA. And I'm fine with the Celtics fans doing it because this was a former player on the team on the Celtics, played for two years, missed a game seven, wanted to get surgery, wasn't even with the team for the Eastern Conference Finals. Then you said, I'm going to resign, and you don't resign. Guess what? Players are going to, I mean, fans are going to leave a little hurt, and that's just not something they're going to forget about. You know, Kyrie Irving calls him a scorned uh, lover. So it is a lot of drama between Kyrie and the fans. I think it's good for basketball. Definitely on Boston's side. You know, I think, you know, you know, players get mic'd up and sometimes, you know, players say stuff back and I am totally fine with that. But I think, you know, the middle finger of that gesture is a bit, you know, too much. You know, if the fans are giving it back to you, you want to give it to them after the game, that's fine. But on the court, you know, in the middle of the shots, just pulling it up like that. Uh, I think Kyrie has to have a little more class, take the high road. He's the one that is with God. God is with him. God is with all of us, you know. Uh, is, you know, God put on that middle finger for you? I don't know. Uh, but this series, I believe, will go seven games. It was a great game yesterday. Again, the antics on the court by Kyrie Irving, you know, both his basketball antics and his, you know, other antics stole the show of a great game. I am here for it. I'm here for a seven-game series of this, and if the Celtics pull off a win, I am openly fine admitting that I was wrong about Brooklyn reaching the semifinals. I would be pleased if the Celtics win this series. What else? Bulls and Bucks. Bucks stormed out to a big lead in the first quarter, up 34-21. Still a 10-point lead heading into the... uh, or eight, ten-point lead heading into the halftime. And then the Bulls kind of erupted, took the lead there for a second, got me nervous, but guess what? Guess what we've seen all year? The Chicago Bulls do not close games against good opponents. On the other hand, the Milwaukee Bucks close games against big opponents. Chris Middleton opened up great. But, you know, was rather quiet in the second half. Uh, Drew Holiday was just all right. They won this game because Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the NBA. That's how the Bucks won. It's as simple as that. No one is as good as Giannis that shares that court. If Vucevic is the leading scorer for the Bulls, there's a problem if Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan don't hit 20 points. The Bucks, you know, were too good. They closed. You know, I believe in the past four years, there's some stat that Giannis is either 14 or 18-0 and 0 against the Chicago Bulls. And the streak continues. Uh, Milwaukee is a better team. They have the playoff experience. Or as Loki says in Avengers Infinity War, I consider experience experience. This was Zach Levine's first playoff game. The Chicago Bulls are a younger team that inexperienced Milwaukee Bucks had the experience it showed yesterday. They were able to close the game. Big win for the Bucks. You know, defending reigning champions to open up with the series lead. 
And then Pelicans and Suns finished it off. Uh, looked like a blowout was imminent, you know, at halftime when they were leading by like 15, 20 points. Then in the third quarter, Pelicans cut the lead down. Fourth quarter, try to cut it down till six. But who was the star of the game? Chris Paul, who I like to joke around that this man has, you know, done nothing, you know, you know, accomplishment-wise in the NBA. Uh, zero rings, zero championships, zero MVPs, all that. But he showed up yesterday in the big moment when the game got close. You know, Devin Booker, who's been a clutch shot maker on this team, it wasn't Devin Booker. It was Chris Paul. It was clutch Chris with 30 points, 19 of them in the fourth quarter. You know, is that easy bucket getter from mid-range? You know, when you need a bucket, Chris Paul has his shot, and he'll get it. Uh, Chris Paul was tremendous in this game. You know, is 36, 37 years old and did not play that part because the way he plays, it's so smooth, it's efficient, that it doesn't take a huge toll on his body like the way a LeBron James plays, and that's why Chris Paul is holding up, and he has such a good supporting cast around him of Bridges, Booker, and Aiden. But Chris Paul, to me, is still the star on this team, is the heartbeat, the leader, the best player on this team. Pelicans, you know, is this even a series? I don't think so. Uh, Brandon Ingram was just all right. Valanchunas, all right, considering his standards. McCollum, 25 points, but inefficient. I think Suns will continue this trend and sweep the series, and I'm totally fine with it. Pick the Suns to win. Uh, Don't have the Pelicans having much of a shot. But what I am happy to see in this series is Jay Crowder go ice cold yesterday. One point. One point. That's hilarious. Didn't make one shot, one of two free throws. Uh, All field goal attempts he shot were from three, 0 for 4. So that puts a smile on my face, as Thanos would say. So, again, I'm fine with it. And then last but not least, the NBA Awards finalists were announced yesterday. Uh, And I was shocked you know, by uh, some of them, you know, particularly uh, Rudy Gobert uh, being up for Defensive Player of the Year instead of, you know, a Jaron Jackson, uh, you know, especially considering they were a worse team. Uh, Jordan Poole, most improved player, I thought he should have been, wasn't even on the list. Uh, again, so you have the MVP, which the finalists are Giannis, Joel Embiid, Jokic. I believe Joel Embiid should be the front runner. Is one, Yo- Giannis two, Jokic three. Rookie of the year, yes, Scotty Barnes, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley. They all play great, but guess what? Scotty Barnes, you know, is a top two, top three player on his team and led his team to the playoffs, uh, and not just to play in the playoffs. So. I asked Scotty Barnes one. Cade Cunningham turned it on the second part of the year, so I'll put him two. And I'll put Mobley three. Sixth man of the year, Tyler Hero, Cam Johnson, Kevin Love. I got Tyler Hero one. He was sensational uh, out of, you know, 
all the players that started led his team in points. He was great. Uh, Kevin Love, also great on with his role. For the Cavs, I'll put him two. I'll put Cam Johnson of the Suns three. Defensive player of the year, Mikael Bridges, Rudy Gobert, Marcus Smart. Guess what? Marcus Smart was the best defensive player on the best defensive team. Because of that, I put Marcus Smart one. I'll put Mikael Bridges two. And Rudy Gobert, who I don't believe should be on this list, at three. Most improved player, Darius Garland, John Morant, Dejounte Murray. I believe it should go to Darius Garland. He took a big leap, who was an all-star this year after not being one last year. I'll put DeJounte Murray, two, and John Morant, three. I don't even think John Morant should be on this list. Most improved player. This man beat the Warriors basically single-handedly last year in the play. and won two playing games to get to the playoffs. Beat the Jazz once, was great, was an all-star last year. He's been great. This year, the team and him took another step, yes, but most improved. I don't know about that. Uh, to me, he's more MVP conversation than most improved player conversation. And then coach of the year, Taylor Jenkins, Eric Spolstra, Monty Williams. I think it should go to Eric Spolstra uh, of the Miami Heat. Not a lot of people pegged the Heat to be the one seed, but they were better than the Bucks this year regular season. They were better than the Nets, who a lot of people predicted. So Eric Spolster to navigate this conference, uh, I think just speaks volumes, is one of the best coaches of all time. He should be deserved of this award. I'll put Taylor Jenkins of the Grizzlies two, and I'll put Monty Williams three. Uh, Just because Monty Williams did win this last year, the team is similar last year. So Congratulations to him for the consistency, but when you improve as much as Memphis did for um, what the Heat did, when the teams are similar, you know, and you make that leap, I'll give that to the coach uh, there. So those are the finalists. Those are my thoughts on the NBA playoffs so far. It's been great. This has been Get Your Goat. I'll talk to you all soon. Bye, everybody.